Welcome to episode 45 of the Seeking the Military Suicide Solution podcast brought to you by the Military Times. I'm Dwayne France. And I'm Doc Shauna Springer. And we'd like to thank you for taking the time to learn more about suicide in the military-affiliated population. To check out all the shows, search for STMSS on the Google Play or Apple App Store, and you can download an app that will allow you to listen to all the episodes, check out the show notes, and share the episodes with somebody who you think might want to hear it. Thanks again to everybody for joining us to listen to an honest conversation about service member, veteran, and military family suicide. As we've mentioned several times over this podcast series, Shauna and I agree with the mindset that we need to include those whose lives have been impacted by suicide when we talk about preventing future suicide. Shauna? Danica Thomas is the widow of U.S. Army Staff Sergeant Alan Thomas. In March of 2010, her husband was severely injured in Afghanistan and brought to Walter Reed. Danica was pregnant with their first daughter. In the late summer of 2013, her husband lost his long battle to suicide. As a widow and mother of two, Danica has now made it a mission to work closely with the military community. She puts her full heart into helping other caregivers and wounded veterans like her husband. As she says in this interview, I will not let the war take me or my kids, and I want to do everything I can to prevent other families from going through the same thing we have. Danica is a fierce, and consistent advocate for the military and veteran community. I'm so glad we were able to include her interview in our podcast. Yes, I think Danica's story and stories like hers are very important to share as part of this conversation. So we'll get into my discussion with Danica and come back afterwards to pull out some of the key points. When your husband died by suicide, he had recently been medically retired from the military and you were a spouse with two young girls. Yes. And that had to be hard for you. It was a task that they don't give you a handbook for. And it was a lot of learning and figuring out what worked for our family, what worked for our veteran in our household and also with medical care. And often it's hit or miss and things slip through the cracks. And one thing that I would say that I would have done different is advocated a lot stronger and definitely pushed what was needed for my soldier. However, in 2013, it was a different system and it wasn't as easy to access the things that we needed. I do believe that now it's different and, and there's a lot more access and you can go outpatient and do other things and be your voice and they'll listen more. But every day it's a new step in the right direction. And there are a lot of people working very hard on the issues that our veterans have and the things that they need and deserve. And so back when my husband was transitioning, it just, things didn't sink. It was hard to grasp. It's hard to grasp being a new mom and overnight being a caregiver and then watching my infantryman who was this like hard rock who was our provider. I'm watching him in a hospital bed and I'm watching him struggle and it was hard for him to articulate what he wanted to say or we toss around the whole, you know, he left the keys in the freezer and he would forget things. And so it was hard for both of us being young and being new parents, but also him being injured and having a brain injury and struggling with depression and not being able to do the job that he 
wanted to do for the rest of his life. And the, the transition to civilian life, the transition to VA, it was all really a, a huge struggle. And I know that a lot of people have that same problem. And my best advice is to research and write things down and advocate and make sure that you are your own voice and your voice is heard. Because at the end of the day, you're the only person that can provide doctors and medical personnel what's going on inside of you. And you bring up a good point that at this time in 2012, 2013, yes, we started to see the impact of suicide in the veteran population in 2013 was when one of the first major uh, research articles came out about this, but it was all new. And some of the numbers that we know, yes, we have the older veterans who are dying by suicide, but that first year or two years after leaving the military is a critical point for the current generation of veterans. And that's where things broke down for your husband is after he left the military, it was 12 or 13 months after he got out that he died by suicide. Yes. Yes, it was. And there are certain things that they were doing with the army doctors that were working and keeping him stabilized. And then when you get out, you lose your sense and you lose your purpose and you feel like everything was ripped away. Or at least in my husband's situation, he just felt like I was there fighting and then my brothers were still there and I was injured, had to go home. And every Friday, another brother was brought in. So it's like to him, he's like, my guys are injured left and right and or killed. And I'm sitting in a hospital bed, not able to do anything. Then he's told that his military career is done. And his brother's some of them were able to stay in and keep fighting and some of them are still in and it just he lost all sense of purpose he had a wife and two children but when you're a, a warrior you have your mission and you want to continue the mission and when the mission was ripped out from underneath him he just didn't know where to go and didn't know what to do and with having to explain himself over and over and over again to va doctors and physicians and then at one point when he took his life, he was put on a waiting list. And that makes no sense. He retired out, was put right into the VA care, 90% disabled. And when we switched facilities, he's put on a waiting list. Like how? That kind of stuff wasn't making sense to any of us. And so that's where I think it became like, we didn't know what to do at that point. I think it's a big struggle for a lot of veterans that are getting out and they're transitioning and they're afraid of what's going to happen with their medical care as well because of the past. But like I said, there are a lot of people that are working very hard to make sure that these veterans are taken care of and these facilities are wrapping their arms around them so that they can get the care that they need and deserve. And I will not stop working to advocate for veterans and get them the help that they need. And this is something that's really emerged out of your experience is this continued effort. Yes, it was a very critical time for you and your daughters afterwards, but not allowing yourself to be impacted beyond what its impact is by your husband's suicide. But you said that we didn't know what to do. You and he or you and his support network, you wanted to do things, but you didn't know what needed to be done or what could be done. And that's changed in the seven years. As you've mentioned a couple of times, there are different efforts. There's a lot more awareness around this. 
and sometimes that awareness brings with it some challenges in that people may still not know exactly what to do. They tell you if your veteran is experiencing things to call the crisis line and go to the emergency room. And when my veteran was experiencing that, I went to the emergency room. I took him to the emergency room and ultimately they didn't have space for him. So we did all the right things. He advocated, he told them about the problems he was having. We were seeking counseling outside of the VA as well through our TRICARE. And so now because of research and because I'm, I'm not as clouded by what happened in my family, I have worked to gain knowledge of what can happen and how I can outsource if I have a veteran that needs help. I know a grand team of people that can help. And so through this experience, I didn't let the war take me. I, it ultimately took my husband and my family, but I'm not going to let it stop me or take me and my children. So what I've done is just turn that into how I can help other people because I wasn't able to help him. And through the, the rough story of what happened with my husband, I have made it also my mission to not stop for the victims that he took. And so I think I owe it to my children, my family, him, and the people that fell victim to his war at home that I'm going to make this right. And I'm going to help other veterans and gain knowledge and I won't stop. And there are amazing people that you and I both know that have helped me see the reality of what happened in the brain. And so that has also been a good push for me to not stop. And, and that's one of the things that your dedication to this, right? You're, you're not sitting back, you're telling your story and it is your story. It's not just your husband's story, but it's your family's story. And when you tell your family's story, you say that you get people reach out even today, again, seven years uh, beyond when the event happened, you still get people that are reaching out to you who are saying that this is happening to me. Yeah, I get veterans and spouses and just people that, that say, I went to the VA and I wanted help and they did what they could, but your story is very familiar. And of course, I try to get back to everybody that writes to me, but my biggest advice is don't stop trying to get help. If, you, if one source isn't working, call again, advocate for yourself. Reach out to your buddies. We talk about a community and we don't mean like our local community. We talk about the community of your brothers and sisters who served with you and you never know when your brother is struggling, maybe he's not saying it to you, but if you reach out to that person and they say, whoa, you know what? I kind of felt like that too. You're unpacking baggage with your own brothers and sisters. And I think it's very important. I, I always say, please call the crisis line. Please go to the VA. Try to get as much help as you can because the VA has come a long way. But you also reach out to your brothers and sisters, those who know you best, those who were in, in the fight with you. and you never know if that person's struggling with you. And, and that's a lot of what we do with Operation Resiliency is we bring combat teams back together and you're unpacking the baggage together and you're really realizing that there are things that people still struggle with and not everybody is whole all the time, but you can lean on those who understand you best. And that almost gives you like a sense of like calm because you're able to get it out together. 
Are you talking about if you care for a veteran, whether you served or you didn't serve, say I'm, I'm another veteran or not, advocating for that veteran. So explaining to people outside of your circle, hey, my veteran needs this. Advocating to that veteran, reaching out to that individual veteran or, or the veterans that you care about and making sure they're okay. And then the veteran advocating for themselves. If I am not doing well, I need to reach out and get some help. If those first two things aren't happening, the last one is on me, on the veteran. And sometimes that's the hardest. Absolutely, we want to stand up for our brothers and sisters. And absolutely, we want to put a hand on their shoulder and say, hey, you look like you need help. How can I help you? But it's that last one, that reaching out, if that veteran who is struggling under the radar, that one can be the hardest of them all. I think a lot of veterans feel like they can't reach out and they can't get help or they don't know that they need it. And it's a tough place, but you can always suggest things or for me, one of my biggest healing points has been to volunteer for things and help other veterans and do service projects and get involved in the community. And you meet people that are struggling, whether it's a veteran, non-veteran, a teenager, and you just talk through the things that are going on and or just talk about life in general. And often you can come to this in your conversation where you're like, whoa, you know what? That person helped me a little bit and I didn't realize that they were helping. My volunteering with the different veteran service organizations has really been my way of healing myself and coming to point with my grief and saying, I'm not going to let this take me. There's a reason why I'm here and, and everybody can find a reason. I believe we all have it within ourselves to be able to find something that's going to give us a sense of pride in ourselves. And I think it's very important to find that. Yes, I agree in that that sort of builds it full circle in that if we are helping other veterans, us who are veterans or military spouses as you are, are helping ourselves. And this was the way things were when we were in the military. And this goes to the concept we've talked a couple times in the podcast series about passive resource offering that we need to go to active resource offering. I know when I was in Afghanistan, uh, I didn't have to go to the intelligence folks and, and ask them to give me information. They were there and they gave it to me. Uh, and it seems to be different in the veteran space where we have all of these resources on the shelf and it's on the veteran to reach out and take it themselves as opposed to those in the veteran circle as you have educated yourself and then learning what needs to be done to reach out and give the veteran something that they may not even know that they need. I'm a big believer that if there's a there's something going on in the community, you just invite everybody. You invite those who you believe could have a connection to the situation, or you invite those who you believe have a big heart. And I have seen that like, as you're inviting people, they're inviting people and they're inviting people. And then all of a sudden, everybody's involved and or you're talking about points or topics at a barbecue and spreading the knowledge and resources or experiences that you've had within those organizations or service projects. It's like chain mail, I feel like. I was at a barbecue last week and I'm talking about Operation Resiliency with the Independence Fund. And then another guy who's like, oh, I really don't like to talk about the military, starts telling me about this organization that he 
has volunteered once with. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool. How do I get involved with that? And then through that, we, I got him to talk a little bit more about the things that like his goals, the things that he wants to be a part of and how he feels a sense of purpose outside of the military. And that's critical. We can have all of the resources at the national level and you're involved in many of them, but really it's how you apply it at the local. And in this case, what you just talked about was even at the individual level was somebody who's like, ah, maybe I'm not too involved in this thing, but you having this network and this resources in my opinion, and I think Shauna would agree with me, that's the way that this is going to change. That's the way that this is going to work, is getting the resources in the hands of the people that are interacting people on the, the community level. And that's what you've really done. And you've mentioned a couple times that things have really changed. You're closely involved in the Prevents Initiative. We've had Dr. Van Dalen on the show a couple of different times now. I'd like to hear your thoughts about that. Yes, I am an ambassador for Prevents, and I'm very excited about this initiative to prevent suicide. The roadmap is being revealed, and as it goes, all of the people that are involved are sharing what they believe is the best resource and getting providers to have lengthy training on suicide prevention, whether it's for veterans or civilians. I think that it's very important to have more resources and work towards that initiative. And just like I said about the community, we don't just talk about your local community. We talk about your brothers and sisters and reaching out and having that camaraderie together. And so I am excited to see how Prevents continues the work. And if, if we can start really, truly saving lives, that is my absolute mission. Yes, and, and I appreciate, I'm sure people have told you often and recognized the courage that it takes to, one, just to overcome someone's death by suicide, but then to pick that up and, and make more out of it and, and pass it along to save others. Danica, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you so, so much. And I really appreciate you having me. And I've had a great conversation and I'm, I'm just so thankful that you are allowing me to continue to spread my story and my mission with everybody. Absolutely. The death by suicide of a family member is such a devastating loss, and a personal event like that would be easy to keep to ourselves, and many do. But Danica takes another route and is recognized for sharing her family's story publicly. Yes, absolutely she is. And for me, one of the take-home points from this interview was the importance of being persistent in seeking help. Sometimes we reach out for assistance and there can be a tendency to view the first person we talk to as someone that represents the character of that company or organization. It's a natural thing, I guess, to feel that people become the face of an organization. But this can leave us with a kind of luck of the draw type scenario way too often. Every healthcare organization is made up of lots of different kinds of people in both civilian and veteran-supportive healthcare companies. Some of these individuals are mission-driven. Some were mission-driven but have become burned out. And some are so stressed out in their individual lives that this has spilled over into their work lives. I had an experience once where I was having a particularly frustrating customer service experience on the telephone, and the call suddenly dropped. I called right back in. And after another very long hold, I was pretty fired up. The tone and approach of the second customer service agent was totally different. 
She won me over with her kindness and competence, a reminder that one single person does not represent an organization. This experience for me locked in the understanding that it might take a few tries to get to the kind of person that can help, but it's worth it to get to the right person. A good doc who is kind and has insight is worth finding through a persistent effort. There are good docs in the VA and in other systems of care that support warriors. So I want to emphasize what Danica said. Please persist until you find one for yourself or for your loved one. That's something that we often hear is that, uh, and I think even back in David Bachman's episode, it was, I had a bad experience at the VA and then it took me another 10 years and honestly, perhaps another crisis before I came back in. So I, I see that there's a need on both sides of this relationship, this veteran seeking help and the individuals providing help to really understand that this is a very critical event. On the provider side, we have to think that this may be the first time this individual is coming out and seeking help, and that gives us a lot of responsibility. And on the the veteran side or the veteran family member side, the fact that, hey, this isn't indicative of all of the care everywhere, just like you had to continue to persist to get your needs met with the customer service rep, we have to get our needs met and find somebody that we can work with easily. Yeah, yeah. It's just such a hard thing to do. When you need the help. And I think a lot of people sometimes put licensed providers on a pedestal a little bit and think they all got the same training or they all should be really good. Or if somebody says something, it's indicative of what everybody in that field thinks. And I would just encourage patients to, to see providers as people with lots of differences in that group and be persistent. Another thing that I wanted to pull out is that Danica's steadfast efforts to prevent suicide are a great example of post-traumatic growth. Her pain has been a crucible that shaped her future purpose. Based on her lived experience with the trauma and pain of suicide loss of her beloved husband, Alan, she's fully dedicated herself with doing away with the stigma of suicide. She has created open dialogue about suicide with her daughters at home and with the veterans and military family members she comes into contact with through her tireless efforts to support the military and veteran community. And these efforts are having an impact. As she explained, on September 29, 2019, I did my very first suicide prevention retreat speech. That day marked the sixth anniversary of my husband's death. I remember the nerves and anxiety and thinking, will I be able to hold my composure? And I did. After the speech was done, I had several people come up to me and tell me that the bravery it took for me to tell my story is what they needed to hear to continue their mission at home and drive on, reach out to their battle buddies. It was incredibly rewarding. You're absolutely right. This does indicate uh, growth on Danica's part, but one of the pieces of, of post-traumatic growth, and, and I think even of the military in general, is we have a desire to help others, but even mentor others and develop others. The military is such a transitory career in that you, you do have this, I'm only here for a short period of time. And so I think Danica's desire and honestly ability to tell her family story, but also to pass along the fact that growth and strength after this devastating loss is possible. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of other people that I admire that have taken their lived experience. The team at TAPS that I've worked so closely with, Kim Ruwako and Kim Burdett and Jennifer Keeling and Carla Stumpf-Patton that uses their pain to share stories so it's a very necessary part, as you and I agree, in terms of suicide prevention is hearing those stories. 
It is, and I'm glad that we had the ability to highlight some of those stories on this podcast series. So we appreciate everybody taking the time to check out the show. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find at veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash STMSS45, or by downloading the app by searching STMSS in the Google Play or Apple App Stores. In the show notes, you can get the links to everything we talked about in this episode, as well as finding the show notes on militarytimes.com. As a reminder, you can ask us questions and let us know what you thought about the show by going to our Facebook group moderated by the outstanding D. James by going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash group. You can find out more about the work that Shauna's doing by checking out her latest book, Warrior, How to Support Those Who Protect Us, and the work that I'm doing by checking out my latest book, Military in the Rearview Mirror, Mental Health and Wellness in Post-Military Life. Both are available on Amazon and we'll have links to them in the show notes. Just a reminder that the guests and reflections on this show are for informational purposes only and should not be considered professional advice. While Dwayne and I are mental health professionals, we are not your mental health professionals. We always recommend that you discuss these things with a licensed clinician. And always remember you can connect with the Veteran Crisis Line by calling 1-800-273-8255 and pressing 1 chatting online with them at veterancrisisline.net or texting 838255. Thanks again for joining us to talk about seeking the military suicide solution. And make sure to follow Military Times on social media to keep up with the latest episodes. Join us next time for another great conversation. And until then, remember, you're not alone, ever.